Hey everybody, welcome to another edition of Living Courageously Exposed, hosted by Big Inside Out Adventures and George Truly, Jennifer J. Saunders, my friends, Tommy J. Today I'm so excited to have back again for part two, my friend Steve Robinson. In the ending of part one, we left you with Steve, who has now explained to us what his big life-changing circumstance was, which is at the age of 18, getting in a motorcycle accident and having his body be devastated through this accident and having his arm be ripped from his body and found a hundred yards away from where he was at. Steve was telling us about how his life changed, how he was happy uh, when he stood in front of the mirror and all of a sudden he didn't have acne, didn't care that he didn't have an arm, but he didn't have acne and that, and that made him happy. And just how his life started to change through the course of having this accident and, and where it has taken him now. We left you with him telling us about his job as a DJ and his story of fake it till you make it. So with that, Steve, we're just going to turn it back over to you on the different courses of action you took to gain the skills that you have today and that has landed you being a jukebox repairer. Um, is it dressage? Is that how you say it? I guess I call it myself a jukebox restorer. <laughs> yes, I guess so. But amongst amongst many other things, because that's just one string to my bow. Uh, so you've and, got so many now. That's what I'm excited for you to just jump right in and, and help us get to that point. So it's so, all you. So with the DJing, what happened after the working in the club that I, I actually sort of ended up doing that accidentally. I just took I just took a chance really on opportunity and, 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 and it worked out. And I ended up working in that club for five years and then I went and I worked and did a season in Spain because I speak Spanish. And I speak oh, wow. Spanish because I attended so many night schools because I was trying to educate myself. And one of the courses I did was Spanish language. And I found I was really good at languages. And in no time I could speak Spanish. So now I speak fluent Spanish. So wow. I worked in, in a place called Benidorm, which is a real Englishy type uh, resort where all the, the 18 and 30s go. They used to call them 18 30s. It is holiday because that was the age range of the people that were there partying. It's a it's a typical British party town in Spain. Okay. So I worked there. I was a karaoke presenter and I was a DJ. So a lot of times I would just be singing all night when nobody else would sing. So <laughs> from being afraid of talking on a microphone and on the early days, I ended up being the entertainer singing on the stage. So wow. I, I, I don't even know how that happened. It just did, manifested. Did you knew? Did you know at the time? That you could sing? Or did you just, because it was karaoke, you're like, oh, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to get up and do whatever. Well, I wasn't certain I could sing. I enjoyed singing. <laughs> but I'm like everybody. I thought I could just sing a little bit. But then once I got onto the karaoke and I realized I knew a lot of the songs and I knew a lot of the tunes, uh, and, and then I realized people liked it, I thought, oh, well, I must be able to sing because they're enjoying it. And um, consequently, I ended up, like I said, just singing for, for a living as well as letting other people sing. And I also did a, a spell in the south of France as well. So I did two seasons, one in Spain and one in the south of France. And then I came home and I worked in my region doing karaoke and, and, and being a DJ, a mobile DJ and karaoke presenter. And I did that for a number of years. And I did that up until the age of 34. And I was so tired and burnt out because I was working six nights a week. Right. And I only had one night a week off. And on my one night a week off, the last thing I wanted to do was to go to a bar or a nightclub. I wanted to just relax, go maybe to the cinema or just sit at home and do nothing. Right. So it, it sort of, it didn't spoil my social life because 
my work was my social life and I enjoyed that part of my life. But on the one day that I didn't work, I needed to just chill out and do nothing. Right. And quick question. In are you do you consider yourself an introvert or an extrovert? Now I would say an extrovert. Previously, definitely an introvert. So that and, so that one day of rest really was something that that your soul required. I, I, a real personality change I had from losing one arm. Yeah. I was a real introvert, really shy, and all of a sudden, all these experiences that I never ex- expected were thrust upon me, and I had no option but to change. Yeah. I guess, you know, I couldn't remain the shy little introverted boy that I was when all right. these things had happened to me, and, and I was having to go through all these all these tests and and medical probes and people that I didn't know, just everybody examining my naked body. And I'm thinking, wow, this, what, what's happening here? And in no time, you're thinking, well, I might as well just give in to it. And a lot of times we fight and we oppose things that we think, you know, we can't do or, or for some reason we just oppose them and fight them. As soon as you just give in to them, and, and then you'll find life is a lot easier. The same is with languages, you know. Learning a foreign language, when you first hear the language, it, it sort of hits you like a brick wall and it just bounces off you and you can't absorb any of the meaning and any of the, you can't understand anything. And as soon as you relax and you think, well, it doesn't matter if I don't understand everything. All I need to understand is maybe 30% of what they're saying and I can work out what the conversation is about. And as soon as you feel like that, you relax and the words get in and you understand them. It's really quite strange. I love that. I think that's great advice. So I don't know if over in the UK we have a saying here in uh, in in parts of like spirituality world or um, metaphysical that says, "What you resist persists." Ah, oh, that's a good saying. And so that's that's kind of what I hear you saying is the more I fought against all of these things, the harder it was for me to learn them. They just kept. But as soon as I I let myself, I like that you use the word relax relax into it then things began to flow and that's sage advice it's it's incredible really you just don't you just don't realize it because we're always fighting and it seems that we're always fighting for something we're fighting for money we're fighting for success we're fighting for this we're fighting for that if you just relax and just approach it differently and and accept what is said and accept things don't always accept what's said if somebody says no you can't do it never accept that right that is never accept that and, and, and people that say to you, you can't do this and you can't do that, get them out of your life because you don't, you don't want that. You, all you want are people that say, of course you can do it. Right. Of course you can. And, and my idea was I realized that there was no such thing by, by this time. I've had all these experiences and more and more experiences. But I realized at that point that there was no such thing as failure because I realized so long as I tried to do something, if I didn't get to my final goal, but I only got halfway there. How can that be perceived as failure? Right. Because right. I've been I've been successful by getting halfway to my goal. It, it's crazy. It's, it's a matter of perception. If you want to walk all the way from um, where where do, where do you live, Jennifer? Uh, Idaho Falls, Idaho, United States. So where's a long where's a long way for you? The, the the Grand Canyon must be thousands of miles away. That's a long ways. It's in Arizona. Yes. So if you wanted to walk to to the Grand Canyon and you set off walking tomorrow, but you don't actually get there, but you, you make it 300 miles, you know, is that a failure? How can it be seen as a failure because you've made 300 miles? Right. Which, even if you make one mile. Isn't that fascinating, the mindset that way, that 
we, we have a goal or an intention or thing out there that we want to do and we get so set on the outcome and it being exactly how we want it that in the process of learning and moving forward, if we don't make that exact thing, how many times we do consider it a failure instead of looking at all of the growth and achievement that we've gotten along the way. So again, another sound point. I, I really appreciate you bringing that out. No, no worries. It's just people don't realize all the successes they've had trying to get to where they get to, whether they make it there or not. Okay, so quick question. Um, in, in your opinion, how what is one way that maybe people listening to this could start keeping track of their successes so that because it is really easy to forget what we've learned along the way. Are there tools that you used to be able to look back and say, oh, okay, here's a success, here's a success. So when you fall down, you go, wait, it's not a failure. Look at all these things. You're able to pick yourself back up and keep moving. Yeah, and sometimes, you know, you, you won't think – you won't think it's going to be such a simple, simple rule. And it really is because people think it must be a really complex rule. The simple rule is set your goal much, much, much higher than you, than you want where you want to be. So if you want to say, if I want to become a doctor or a dentist, something like that, or I might say I, I would set myself as being a scientist or something that's a, the, the number one in that field, I would set myself much, much higher than where I actually want to be. And then I know I'm going to get to where I want to be. There's no, there's no doubt. There's no doubt. Gotcha. If you set your goal much higher than where you actually want to be and you would, and you're for that highest goal that's, that you think you can achieve, which let me tell you, you can achieve anything. <laughs> but you set your goal really, really high. Then, you know, and your goal actually is a lot lower. You're going to get there dead easy. Gotcha. So the simple rule is set your goals really, really high and have really, really high standards for everything, if you set your standards really high and your goals really high, then even if you get halfway there, you've probably got further than you wanted to in the first place. I love it. I love it. So, but it's a simple goal. Yeah. The the thought that came to mind as I was kind of summing that that up was be courageous and dream big. That's what I yeah, tell people. You've got to dream enormous. When people think we'll dream big, if you want to earn a million a million dollars, why, why limit it at a million dollars? Why don't you make it a hundred billion dollars or a trillion dollars? Why, why think so small? Right. And while, while ever you're aiming for that trillion dollars or that five or fifty billion dollars, you know you're probably you're probably past five million dollars and, and not even think you've been successful. You know, right. I'd take a million dollars right now, wouldn't you? I think I could do that. Could have yeah, a, I, could. I could come see you. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so set your goal. Simple rule for you in in. Because you're saying there's no such thing as failure. Just set your goals higher than you than you want to achieve and just keep moving. Just and keep than, going. More than likely, you're going to get there and probably beyond what you originally thought. You probably will. You know, you, 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 you'd be surprised at what you can actually achieve. Yeah. So then I, I was never aiming down the line to be a DJ. That was never in my, my goal, really. But I was successful at that. And then I ended up working in a local radio station doing the um, doing radio and uh, being a DJ, really, a radio DJ. And I quite enjoyed that, and that was really good fun. And by this point, I'm thinking, well, I want to do some more with the jukeboxes because I got involved with the vintage jukeboxes. So then I started thinking about what will I do? Should I, should I do more with those or should I move on? And I wanted to do more with them, but at the same time, I wanted to move on and do bigger and better things. Right. So I decided to do all these night school courses so I could go to university. And I eventually, I ended up at university. 
I actually had to do what they call an access course in a college to gain me the qualifications to get into university because I didn't have the access, I didn't have the sort of like the qualifications that were needed. Right. And, and to my surprise, I got student of the year. My grades were the highest of all the students in the college. Wow. And I thought I was stupid. And I, wow. and I got the highest grade. So that, that totally shocked me. And at that point in my life, that's when I realized truly that anything was possible again. You know, it's happened a few times, but now I'm thinking, wow, if I can do education, and I've really struggled at education because I'm dyslexic, and I really struggled, and, and I've got awarded the student of the year. So again, I realized I'd overcome another phantom barrier. I thought education was beyond me, but it wasn't. So I went on to do this university course, and at the end of my university course, actually during the university course, I decided I would get out of the, digital, the vintage jukeboxes, and I sold all my vintage jukebox collection wow. over a two-day period at a big, at a big jukebox event. And, and I, I came home with just short of £19,000 in cash. That's about, that's about $25,000 from selling my jukebox collection. And I thought, wow, this is great. So while I was studying at university, I was also restoring jukeboxes to do the next jukebox show. And I did that for three years, turning over that sort of money for three years. And then it came to my final year project, and I thought, well, I don't want any more jukeboxes. I'm getting out of jukeboxes. <laughs> and I thought, well, what am I going to do? And Because I had to create a piece of software for, for, for anything, because I, I was doing software programming. And suddenly I thought, well, I know about jukeboxes. So I okay. actually created software for a digital touchscreen MP3 jukebox. Oh, my word. And when I left university, I went on to further develop that system, and it became a million pound seller. And I sold 400 jukeboxes in the first eight months of trading. My company was called Robinson's Jukeboxes Limited. Now it's just called Robinson's Jukeboxes. Oh my and gosh. That is like. And that, that <laughs> earned me so much money, I didn't know what to do with it. And it scared me to having money because I'd never had money. I, I was um, going to say, like, how. Because you told us in the first um, part of this episode that. You came from poverty, like you had nothing. And so now that you've got, like, how did you manage that? Like mentally, emotionally. It totally scared me. And I thought, what do I do with all this money? Do I, it, it, it really was scary because all of a sudden I had, I had lots of money. And I thought, well, what do I do with it? So I decided I would buy my next door neighbor's house. But I didn't want to live there because I already had somewhere to live. I just wanted to spend my money on something. So I bought my next door neighbor's house. But then because I had somewhere to live, I didn't want to live there myself. So I rented it out. And I ended, I ended up getting £600 a month for it. And that is roughly about $750. Wow. And, and I thought, wow, this is great. So I bought another house. And I bought another. And I bought another. And I bought another. And I kept going. <laughs> and, now, and now I own 10 houses. Oh, my word. So this is what I love about your story. Is you, you told us you were this young boy, you know, skinny, got made fun of, acne, didn't like going to school, was threatened to be taken from your family, <laughs> and you get in this accident, and your life completely changed. And this... Totally. This really... I came across this, uh, this quote by a friend of mine called Nukasabe. You know Spanish? Do you know what yeah, does yeah. nunca sabe? What does that mean? Nunca sabes. 
You never know. You never know. I love this because every time I hear you talk, I'm like, you just never know what, what is like going to come next in this guy's story. And uh, you got to tell us more. What's next? So I'm, I'm losing track now. So where to get so bought? I bought 10 houses. And, and I re- so now I'm a residential landlord. I still manufacture digital jukeboxes and I still restore the vintage jukeboxes and the vintage one-armed bandits. So then I was introduced to somebody just by, um, by chance. I started salsa dancing lessons because I, I always wanted to be that guy that could dance confidently with women and it scared me. So I decided I would do something about that. And I took myself to dancing classes and I learned to dance salsa and I learned to dance rock and roll and I loved it. And I've been dancing rock and roll and salsa for years. But on one of my nights out for the, from the salsa event, I met this guy and we just became friends. And he ended up being a, what was he? He was a best-selling author, but I didn't know this. He was a best-selling author and, and a motivational speaker. And he got me involved in motivational speaking. And it's oh. down to him that I've been so successful at motivational speaking, really. And because it never, it never passed my mind to, to even be a, a motivational speaker. Every time he said to me, why don't you go and t- tell your story, Steve? I kept saying, well, w- will anybody be interested? Doesn't right. everybody lead a life like me? Because I thought my life was normal. Right. And of course, it, it wasn't normal. I didn't realize. So that's how I got into motivational speaking. But before before that, some other things happened, and I was also afraid. I was afraid of a lot of things. Dancing was one. I always wanted to be able to dance with a woman with confidence, yeah. and that scared me. So I tackled that and I dealt with that. Another scenario was I was always afraid of asking women for telephone numbers. Hence, I'd been single for fifteen years. Right. And and a friend of mine was a psychotherapist, and he said to me, Steve, he said, I want you to do this. He said. Every woman that you meet, I want you to ask her for a telephone number. It doesn't matter whether you're attracted to her. doesn't matter whether she's young or she's old. doesn't matter. He said, every woman you meet, ask her for a telephone number. I said, I'm not sure I can do that. He said, try it. So I did. I tried it. And I started by saying to people, oh, excuse me, please please, may I have your telephone number? (laughs) And, of course, that is so wishy-washy that people would... People would say, no, you can't have it. So then I got a bit braver and I said, give me your telephone number. And I had a lot more success. And then I went one step further and I'd give them my mobile phone, my cellular. And I'd say, here you go, put your number in there. And people put the number in. So the model behind this is, it was called exposure therapy. Yes. Whereby if you do something on a daily basis, the things that you're afraid of, before you know, you won't be afraid of them anymore. Now, I'm not afraid of asking people for the telephone numbers, but what happened is I had a mobile phone that was full of women's telephone numbers and I couldn't remember who they were. (laughs) And and I didn't really want to do anything about it and I didn't go that extra step and I didn't ring them. But I didn't really want to do that. I just wanted to be not afraid of being able to ask for that telephone number on the odd occasion that I might meet somebody and want to ask for that number. Right. So I deleted all the telephone numbers. But the, <laughs> but the moral of the story was, you know, if you do it a little bit each day, you won't be afraid of it anymore. And that taught me a really valuable lesson. And it's the same lesson that I used to conquer my fear of horses because I was attacked by one as a young boy. Okay. And I never, I didn't want to be afraid of them anymore. So I used that same therapy to cure my fear. 
and I took myself and I did horse riding lessons and I really didn't like it. Yeah. And I didn't like it for a long, long time until maybe three or four months and then I met a horse that I really liked mm -hmm. and we really got on together. And it's a really strange, I don't know, it's like a strange feeling when you emotionally bond with a horse and that, hon that, that horse obviously bonds with you. And it was beautiful and I loved that horse. And she was called Maddie. Maddie. And she was Maddie. It. And she was absolutely beautiful. She was a black and white mare. And I fell in love with horse riding. And I took dressage lessons. And I came fifth in the national dressage qualifiers in the UK. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, like, listen to this man. I've got to remind you, because I'm sure as you're listening along, you may have forgotten sometimes, like I do, that he only has one arm. Like he had so many things to be afraid of, just just like you and I do. And uh, you know, Steve, a lot of times people will ask me like, why do you do the things that you do? And my answer used to be because I can, but really it's it's because I'm afraid and I don't want to yeah. be afraid. And so exactly. I, just, I just jump. A lot of times I don't understand what I'm doing or why, you know, the, the process, but I'm willing to like take those steps and and learn as I go. And I love hearing your story and that uh, we have some commonalities that way. And I, I feel like these are great lessons for those listening who say, oh my gosh, I'm so afraid to just hear us just tell do you it. it's okay to be afraid and take those steps. We're, we're, all, we're always afraid, always afraid. My biggest fear after horses was flying. Okay. And, and I've flown all over the world by myself as a young man. And then I developed this fear and I didn't fly anywhere. And I needed three weeks hypnotherapy so I could fly to Spain to visit some friends. And oh. it sort of helped, but not really. And I was, I was petrified. And I thought, how am I going to deal with this fear of flying? And nothing had happened. I was just, I just become so anxious about it. I'd be the guy praying to God all the way during the flight. I was so afraid. And one day I was surfing the internet and I saw this article and it said, flying scholarship for disabled people. <laughs> And I thought, Are you oh, going to tell wow. us Steve, that you took this flying fear into your own hands and your own hand and the, uh, did something with it? What I did is I applied for that flying scholarship because I realized that that could cure me of my fear of flying. And the first 12 hours, I was awarded it, surprisingly, by Prince Faisal of Jordan. Wow. And by the Chief Air Marshal of the RDF, which is the highest ranking officer in the Royal Air, uh, in the Royal Air Force. Wow. And I was awarded this flying scholarship, and I, I was totally shocked that I'd been awarded it. It was just absolutely brilliant. And I started flight training, and the first 12 hours, I was terrified. I didn't like them. But also... The NHS, which is our National Health Service, made me a prosthetic arm so I could learn to fly this aircraft. Okay. And it took the NHS 12 months to make this prosthetic arm, and it delayed the start of my flight training. But eventually, flight training did start, but the artificial arm didn't work. And it oh, fell wow. off at 3,500 feet while we were oh. doing some maneuvers. Wow. And we went into a spiral dive, and we dropped through a cloud. <laughs> and it was, it was very scary. I but I said to my instructor... I said, you have control, John. And John, my instructor, said, no, Steve, you have control. He said, you've got to learn to fly this aircraft with one arm. And I said, no, no, John. I said, with a little more urgency, as we went into this spiral dive and dropped through a cloud. I said, my bloody arm's fallen off. And my arm had literally fallen off and was on the floor of the aircraft. Oh, my and word. And John said, 
Okay, he said, let's sort that out. So we put the prost- I put the prosthetic arm on and we tried it five times. On every occasion, my prosthetic arm fell off. But I realised a valuable lesson that day. And that was, if at first you don't succeed, try, try and try again. But what else? I'll tell you something else I really learned here, and it was absolutely mind-blowing. So mind-blowing. It's so simple. You're just not going to believe this. And John said to me, he said, don't worry, Steve. He said, if everything goes wrong, there's three and a half thousand feet below us. He said, there's plenty of time to correct any errors. Then he said to me, the, the most useless bit of sky is that bit above you. And he said, the most useless bit of runway is that bit behind you. Now, that made a lot of sense to me. And when I thought about it, I realized it was a great metaphor for life because it doesn't matter what's behind you and in your past. Right. It only matters what's in front of you and in your future. And But that this is this was that metaphor in action. I love and when it. I saw it in action... It really made sense. Some people learn from listening. Some people learn from reading. And they call, they call them kinesthetic and they call them other, bits, other names. And other people learn from experience. I learn from experience. I don't really learn from reading. And I don't really learn very well from listening. But I learn from actions and I learn from, from, from feelings and emotions. And because I was afraid when it all went wrong and he told me this and he explained these things to me then that put my life in perspective because i realized it wasn't it, my past isn't important it's only important what i'm going to do in the future because yeah. the past is behind me that's all happened right so would you be willing to um i i, I have something that i that i want to say in regards to that but will you repeat the the statement that he said to you about the the blue sky and the and the runway would you repeat that again? i will so he said he said it had a three parts to it really and the first part was he said don't, don't worry if it all goes wrong, Steve. He says there's three and a half thousand feet below us. There's loads of time to correct. So that made me think that there is loads of time to do everything. Don't worry. Don't be in a rush. There's time to do it. The next bit was he said, the most useless bit of, uh, of sky is that bit above you. So if everything goes wrong and the engine stops and a wing falls off, you can't go up. You can only go down. So that's why he's saying that the most useless bit of sky is that bit above you because you can't use it. Gotcha. And then he said, when you're landing on the runway, the most useless bit of runway is that bit that's now behind you. Ah, okay. Because you can't land on it. The only important bit of the runway is that bit that's in front of you. And that is the important thing, that you realise that whatever is behind you and in your past is of no use. And the only bit that is important is what is in front of you i love it that's the only bit you can use yeah i love that and so and so if i could just take that just a little bit further that if we're if we're going to talk about we told people to like take risk and take chances and to keep moving forward um you know that that runway piece i this is really this is the kind of stuff i really can sink my teeth into and love having discussions about but that bit of runway um it's useless by way of trying to drag it with you however there are lessons that we can learn from that, you know, from our past. And, and that's what makes things not a failure. But if we choose to just leave everything behind us and not take anything, then I think that's where failure comes from is we don't, like we talked about earlier, we don't really gather the proof of, of um, 
our experience and how we've grown in the process of learning to fly or walk to the Grand Canyon. <laughs> I'd love to walk through the Grand Canyon. I really do fancy that. It, it's, it's strange, you know, because the experiences that we have in the past that we think have been bad experiences, and they might have been bad and they might have been good, but all those experiences have made us who we are. Right. And, and whether you've had bad experiences like I did with bullying, I put that down to making me a strong personality. I, I didn't realise it at the time, but I am quite strong and, and willful. And I put that down to the bullying and all the bad and the negativity that I thought was negative. In actual fact, it was very, it was very character building. I just didn't realise it. Right. So there's a Chinese proverb and it's called yin and yang. Right. And, and you'll have heard of it, everybody. I think a lot of people have. And that is that there's no good without bad and there's no bad without good. And there's always an equal and opposite uh, to whatever you're feeling. So if you're feeling sad, there's an equal and opposite happy. Right. Now, and so long as you realise that. So those, for those of you listening, we are not encouraging bullying, just FYI. If you, <laughs> if you know someone who's being bullied, you know, help them find a way to gather strength and, and overcome that. We, we are in no way, shape or form. But we are saying that lots of us have experienced the bullying and it doesn't have to be a negative thing in your life. It can be changed for positive as it has in Steve's life. And so I appreciate you've got to make You've got to make every experience, whether it be negative, into a positive one. And it's got to build your character and it's got to teach you some lessons. And if anything like that happens to you, then it teaches you lessons. And any lesson learned is valuable. Right. Well, and, it, and I think maybe the, the, the thought process or the verbiage behind that is, bullying doesn't define you it's how you choose to respond to that is what defines you how what you make of yourself through the experience whether it's bullying or being poor or being whatever um it's it, those things don't define you the runway behind you doesn't define you but no, it, it can help make you stronger so that was so that was the flying side of things but then it wasn't finished there because in actual fact with 12 hours remaining in my flying scholarship I needed a Mark II prosthetic arm making. So I went back to the drawing board and the NHS, the National Health Service, made another prosthetic arm. That took 12 months again. Wow. And when it was finished, that didn't work. So now at this point, I'm thinking, what am I going to do? Because I could go back again. But of course, the NHS is funded by the, the, the British government and the British people. And I was so I was so sad really that I wanted to go back and ask for another prosthetic arm to be made and so aware that these arms weren't cheap and I didn't want to waste more than the, the valuable money that the NHS had that and I felt so ungrateful to go back and say thank you for making these two prosthetic arms but they don't work I felt so ungrateful that I decided I wouldn't do that but I decided I would make my own prosthetic arm instead <laughs> I'm like I think I know where this story is going so I made my own prosthetic arm and when the national media found out about it, I was all over the, well, the national press and also I was in Australia because a friend of mine lives in Australia and he saw it in their national press. And, and that got me media recognition, which then meant I ended up on TV and doing lots of TV programs. Right. And I've done loads and loads of media stuff. How long ago was this, Steve? So that would be, I made my first prosthetic arm in... Probably about 2015, 2000, yeah, about 2015. And then I continued with the flight training with my prosthetic arm, my DIY prosthetic arm, and I passed all my flight training. I'm now a private pilot, and I fly a light aircraft, and I've just, just finished, at the, well, about, about 
four months ago, I've just finished aerobatics flight training. So now I'm a qualified aerobatics um, pilot as well. Oh, my word. That part I did not know of your story. And that is I will, so amazing. I, so, I sort of can't tell you this part, but I know I'm telling you. Because <laughs> I'm on a TV program in the UK. And this TV program is called This Time Next Year. Whereby we go on TV and we make a pledge to do something in a year's time. Uh -huh. So my pledge was May of last year. And the pledge was to be the first disabled man or first one-armed man to do an aerobatics routine. So I had to take aerobatics flight training to do that. Right. But I don't like aerobatics. <laughs> it really, really scares me. Yes. And that was why I wanted to do it. But it really did scare me. And the first time I did a loop, I was absolutely terrified. The second time I did it, I sort of liked it. The third time I did it, it was all right. The fourth <laughs> time I did it, I absolutely loved it. And, and, now, and now I enjoy aerobatics and it's, it's crazy because it really terrified me. Not just scared me a little bit. I mean, literally terrified me. And, and now I absolutely love it. I love this. And so is this, is this a show that um, people will be able to watch outside of um, the UK eventually? Or will you be able to put clips of it on your web? What I'll probably do is once it's on UK TV, which it comes on UK TV in January, Okay. When it comes onto UK TV, I'll record it, put it on my YouTube, okay. and I'll send you the link, and you can share it with all your listeners. Oh, my gosh. I would love to. And so that is one thing. If you're listening today, you can actually go to Steve's um, Facebook page, which I will make sure that you have the – not Facebook page, his uh, web page. I'll make sure that, that that address gets shared out. And he does have videos on there of news clippings, his, his horse riding. There's some on there of his flying – uh, he does have a YouTube channel. We'll make sure that that uh, the people listening today have access to all of those things, Steve, so they know how to hear more of your amazing story and to actually see it as well. I actually just thinking about it now. I missed out a major part of my story, which <gasps> was a major part. Well, let's hear Can it. Can I tell you really quickly? Yes. So when, when I developed the digital jukebox, it was so successful, I've got to mention this, that a company in the northeast of England stole my copyright and they copied my jukebox. Oh. It was using my software, using everything. So I had no option but to sue for copyright infringement, and I started litigation against them. Right. Litigation took six years. Oh, my And for six years, on a daily basis, I received death threats. And every week, there would be people trying to kick my door down. <laughs> but I've been bullied before. Right. So I decided to fight back. Now, I had intellectual property insurance, and the people that were, I was fighting didn't realize that, which meant that my legal expenses were being underwritten by the might and power of his Cox insurers, which are big insurers in the UK. Right. So the multimillionaire owner thought I didn't have the financial clout to fight him in a, in a court of law. But of course I did. So it took six years. At the end of my six years, I won my court case uh, with an out-of-court settlement, and, and that was the end of that. But then, But I decided to fight that because I wasn't going to be afraid of bullies anymore and again it was a bit of being my exposure therapy i'll fight the bullies this time right. but i had to fight them on a daily basis it got easier but by the end of six years it, it, it taken its toll i was absolutely shattered oh see that's that's a long time emotionally tiring i would mention emotionally oh, yeah. and physically even but I'm, but I'm glad it's over and done with and right. i'm glad and i'm glad i stood up for myself on that occasion because sometimes you know in life you have to fight back Absolutely. And I, I think it's, it's more a matter of this like standing up 
and not letting people mow you over. Um, you know, that's what it is. Just stand up. Sometimes even if you lose, it's worth it's worth your self esteem just to stand up and face them and and lose sometimes. Yes. Because you know you, you they'll think twice about fighting you this uh, another time. Well, and that courage to believe that you are worth more than what you're being told you're worth. I, that, you know, goes leaps and bounds to raising your energy, raising your, your belief and thought process in yourself and, and that belief and trust in what you can actually accomplish. So, yeah, sometimes, sometimes we do lose, but that act of standing up is, uh, is powerful. And I stand with you and say, for those of you who are struggling – Steve and I encourage you and we stand beside you in standing up for yourself and believing in who you are and what you can accomplish. Because it's amazing. Now, now also, have you got any friends in the Chicago area? I'm flying to Chicago in November. <gasps> you are? I am again, yes. I was there. I was there in June or July for the, for Oshkosh, the largest aviation event. I think it was July. I can't remember the date now because I was a guest speaker. I was a keynote speaker in the I think it's called the Theatre in the Woods, the biggest the biggest sort of stage they've got at Oshkosh. So I was speaking there May, June time. I can't remember when it was. But I'm flying back in November because I want to go to the Chicago Land Show. Okay. I actually do have friends from Chicago, and I'll make sure that we, uh, well, we get some connections for you. Yeah, well, I'm up for a meet-up with all, with all your friends. It'd be nice to have a, um, a discussion with them, and, right. and any advice I need, I'm more than happy to give. And how long you staying? Any chance you want to come to Idaho? I can trade Where you is around. Idaho? I, you know, I'm totally, totally green. Where is Idaho? So it's like uh, on the west side of the United States. Chicago's more in the middle. Okay, so I, I do know of Idaho. I'm just, my geography of the states isn't very good, unfortunately. You and uh, I, will, we'll have a chat about this. Yeah, maybe so. Maybe I should just fly over. I'm only actually going for five days, but that was my initial intention. That could be extended. I've not actually booked yet, so it could be extended. I could visit loads of places. I'm going to do everything I can to make sure that we extend your stay and maybe find you a place to speak here while you're here. Would you be you know, I'd love, I'd love to speak in the States while I'm there. Yep, okay. love to. I will, I will do what I can. So, Steve, this is, a, this is an amazing story from someone who really seemed insignificant in life by way of means and education and stature, like physical stature to having this complete life change and having this, you know, like second chance more or less and this wake up call in life and all these things that you've, you've done that the fake it till you make it to your DJ story and the restoring jukeboxes and, you know, creating the software, going through the litigation, dressage, learning how to do horses, the acrobatic, how to do the aerobatic. It makes me so excited that, yeah. The story of just like we really can do these big dreams that we want to do, and all we have to do is one have the courage to dream them, and two have the vulnerability to take the steps and trust that we can, and know that there are going to be people in our past to help accomplish those goals. I know that Steve is one of those people. He now is a speaker as part of what he does, and so Steve, what would be if we're going to leave these our listeners today with with five points or lessons that you've learned? What would those five things be? First of all, is believe in yourself. It doesn't matter whether other people believe in you or not. Believe in yourself. Don't compete with other people. Never compete with other people because when you compete with other people, you perceive yourself as losing. Mm-hmm. Only ever compete with yourself because you know you can beat yourself every time. 
So only compete with yourself. Opportunities are everywhere. If somebody asks you to do something, take that opportunity because it may never come round ever, ever again. So never turn down an opportunity. The other thing is use exposure therapy to overcome your fears. So do the things you're afraid of and then you won't be afraid of them. (laughs) And the final thing is people will say, you know, people say to me, how did I get that flying scholarship? And I know it might be a cliche, but I asked. And if you don't ask, you don't get. And it's a really simple principle. If you think about it, if, if I'm in a room and I'm stood there, nobody's going to bring me a cup of tea or a cup of coffee. But if I ask for a cup of tea or a cup of coffee, somebody will bring me it. Right. It's the same in every walk of life. In everything you want to do, that person will never give you what you want if you don't ask for it. Because they don't know you want it. It's, it's so simple. Just ask. Just ask. I love it. All right. Our last piece of advice. Our last piece of advice is never listen to anybody that tells you that you can't do something. <laughs> never, ever, ever. Because if somebody else can do it, why can't you? And you have two arms. Those of us listening, Steve has one and he did all these things. Like that's what I'm like, again, one of my favorite And I've done much more. And I've done much, much more. We're only, we're only, uh, we're only, it's the tip of the iceberg. I've done much more. Yeah. And I do feel like my journey has just begun. Oh, I love this. I love this. And I look forward to the opportunity, Steve, that as our friendship grows, be able to celebrate with you these, these things that are like still in front of you and, and the journey that you're on right now. And, um, and again, watching you grow and being able to grow with you as, as I'm on my own journey. So, ladies and gentlemen, there you have it. My, my good friend, Steve Robinson, and, and his journey through life. From, from being born a poor boy, uh, meager circumstances to all these things that he's told us about and accomplished, never listening to those who told him no, always believing in himself, and uh, taking the opportunity to grab the, to grab the opportunities that came before him and watching life unfold as it did. It sounds like it's taking you on quite an incredible journey, and uh, it's going to be amazing to see where it continues to take you. Any, any final thoughts, Steve? Hopefully, I'll see you in Chicago in November. Uh, that would be that would be great, or or in Illinois, or where, where, or wherever Idaho. We'll find a way. So, for those of you who are listening today, thank you again for listening to the Courageously Exposed podcast, where we give voice to those who who are afraid, to those who, who are ready to have the doors open for the opportunities that stand in front of them. Steve has been a good example of that today, and we and say to you, if you have enjoyed any part of this podcast today. We invite you to share it with two people. And if you want to help us out even further, feel free to donate to help pay for productions that go behind putting on a podcast so that we can continue to bring you amazing content. And with that, we tell you, like we do always, believe in yourself or no one else can.